Last week, we experienced what I believe to be miracles as we watched our little two-year-old Millie go from being her happy self to being one very sick little kid who was in the hospital for five days. Many, many people prayed for Millie, and today we're sharing the details of that story, where the little miracles happened, and why I'm calling them miracles. We also dive into how prayer played a part in all of this, whether we change the outcome ourselves by praying or if it's just up to God, and if it is, what is the point of praying and does it really work? Hey, welcome to the podcast. I really want to start this out by saying I'm so sorry that we missed last week. It was the first time in over two years that we've missed an episode on a Monday. Yes, we've never missed one. So I don't know if anyone other than my sister noticed, but my sister did say something to me. She said, I noticed you guys didn't have a podcast episode. And the reason why is this. We were in Utah for my parents came home from their 18-month mission in Spain, and we were so excited to be able to see them and have them meet Harry for the first time. They actually met three grandkids, and so we planned this trip to go to Utah and be there for about two weeks, and so the first week was amazing. We got to say hi to my parents, you know, welcomed them home, spent some time with family, went to my family's cabin, but over that first weekend, we had two of our kids get sick, which is very normal, right? Like little kids getting sick. So Harry got a fever first and had like a snotty nose and he was kind of touching his ears. So I said, let's take him to the pediatrician right away and find out if it's an ear infection so that we can get him right on an antibiotic if it is. And we took him in. They said, nope, it's not an ear infection. His ears look great. They even did a COVID test on him, which was so sad because he's a baby. And they they called us right away and said, nope, he doesn't have COVID. It's just some little virus. It'll go away. So then Millie woke up the next morning and had the same type of symptoms, a fever. She didn't have a runny nose, but she just seemed like she wasn't feeling well. So we actually had Neil stay back and just hang out with the babies for that day, for the better part of that day. And I went up to the cabin with my big girls and we hung out for the day. And then I think you drove up in the afternoon or evening because the baby seemed to both be feeling a little better. And so we hung out that afternoon, evening. The next day, I still remember it, the next day was Sunday. And so we went to church, but right after sacrament meeting, which is like the first hour, I, I distinctly remember saying, I know Millie's not sick and she doesn't have a fever anymore, but since she was so recently sick, let's just take her home and not put her in the nursery. Because I, I always am paranoid about I don't want to take my kid and get everyone else in the nursery sick. So Neil and I agreed that would be the best thing. So we went back to my parents' house and then, you know, it seemed like both Millie and Harry were doing pretty good for a couple of days there. And then Millie's fever returned in the middle of the week. So I think it was on Wednesday, she started to get a fever again, which was super weird. We were like, oh, I thought she was over this, but she's got this fever again. And then the next day, or, you know, I can't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday that her fever came back, but... Somewhere in the middle of that week, her fever came back. And so we kind of just tried to keep her at the Airbnb that we were staying at. And the following day, her fever spiked to 106. And I had gone down to Orem to record with the Nitty Gritty podcast, which, by the way, was so fun. Those guys are so awesome. So shout out to Cam and Andrew. 
In fact, I think the episode that I recorded with them might be coming out today. So you might be able to find that in your Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast if you search the Nitty Gritty Show. So I had gone down there, recorded. I picked up some food from Bam Bam's Barbecue, which is, by the way, the very best barbecue in the state of Utah. It's absolutely amazing. I drove it up to my parents' house in North Salt Lake. We were just about to eat. And Neil called me and said, Millie's fever is really high, right? And that was, you had checked it and it was 106. Yeah. And one earlier that day, I'd taken her to the pediatrician. Oh, that's right. We kind of took her into... Yeah, after she'd have a, had a fever for a while and hadn't gone away, I took her in. They did all kinds of tests and looked at her and said, hey, she doesn't have COVID. She doesn't have an ear infection. She doesn't have any, you know. She doesn't have a UTI. UTI, anything like that. We can see it's just kind of a cold flu viral thing. So just watch her. She should be good by Sunday. So I was like, okay. And then came back and was watching her. She just seemed kind of miserable. And then it got worse. So I was checking her temperature and I looked at the thermometer I was using as this little temporal lobe scanner thing. And yeah, it was like 105, 100, 106. And I'm looking at this thing going, wow, is this right? Like, this is nuts. And I thought she was super hot. And yeah, so she was burning hot at that point, that's when I called Corinne and she called a friend who was a, a nurse up at a primary children's and they're like, get her into the ER like stat. Yeah. So, so I just kind of dropped everything. I actually left my other kids at my mom's and ran over to Neil, picked Millie up and took her to the ER and... Or maybe you took her to the ER and I met you there. Yeah. Yeah. So they ran a bunch of tests that night. Neil ended up leaving and going home with the rest of our kids. And they ran a bunch of tests and they finally figured out she has rhinovirus and this thing called adenovirus, which is a virus that like really little kids get oftentimes. And they said this is explaining the persistent fever and the she had been saying for a week too, my tummy hurts, my tummy hurts. And she just wouldn't eat very well for us that whole week. And so I was like, okay, this explains a lot of these symptoms. But she was crying and screaming and just seemed like she was in so much pain. And when they gave me that diagnosis finally at like 11 p.m. or midnight or something, I just said, I just don't, I was actually ready to check out. And then I said, I just don't feel like this is it. I feel like there's something else wrong. And both the doctor and the nurses were like, you know what? That's totally reasonable for you. Like, let's keep her. We'll observe her for the night. So they put her in this kind of like, um, not a fully, like they didn't fully admit her to the hospital, but they put her in this room right next to the ER to just let her be observed for the night. And then by the next morning, she, they, you know, said, we don't have any other results here. We can't really find anything. If you feel like going home, go home. And I was like, great, I'll take her home. So... They gave us a list, too, of things to watch, like watch for these signs of dehydration, watch, you know, if she's lethargic, if she she needs to go potty twice and like go pee twice in 24 hours, um, watch for crying with no tears. And so we took her home. And as I walked out of the ER, she was screaming, like screaming in pain. And they were just kind of like, yeah, this is adenovirus. So good luck. And there was something in me that just felt like, I don't know, but okay, if you're telling me this, then I'm going to believe you because maybe I'm just a paranoid mom. So I took her back to the Airbnb and we kind of just hung out with her for another not quite day and a half. And then she wouldn't drink for us. She kept screaming, kept crying, just really acted like she was in so much pain. And you hung out with her Friday afternoon, right? Yeah. 
and you were like, this just doesn't seem normal. Like she keeps, like she'll be okay for a minute and then she'll just completely melt down and freak out and be screaming and crying. So at about 9 p.m. that night, it was like she was crying with no tears. And that was a freaky thing for me to see, like see her where she was like, (gasps) like hyperventilating because she was crying so hard, but there were no tears coming out. And I said, this is not normal. And then we kind of did the math and figured out how long we had been home with her and how long it had been since she had gone potty. No, this was Saturday. It's so hard for me to keep all the days clear, but we went into the ER the first time Thursday night. She stayed till Friday. We got out at about 2.30 p.m. Friday. And we Oh, that was another thing. She couldn't leave the hospital until she peed, but she had been on IV fluids. So it made sense that she needed to pee. She finally peed. Then they let us go. And then so Saturday night, it had been a day and a half, right? More than 24 hours. It had been about 30 hours. And I realized the only time we had gotten her to pee was she woke up with a wet pull up on Saturday morning, but then all day Saturday, she wouldn't pee for us. And it was like 9 p.m. And she wouldn't go potty. She was crying with no tears. And I just was like, and she had continued to scream in pain and scream and cry hysterically. She was inconsolable. And so I called my friend again, Kylie, and she was like, I can hear her in the background. That's that's not normal, Corinne. That's not just like a kid who doesn't feel good. There's something wrong. And she hadn't peed for the, like I said. So we all were on the same page. Like, I think we need to take her back. So Neil and I went back and they ran all of the same tests as they did the first time, which was so miserable. I felt so bad. They were like drawing her blood and giving her this COVID nasal swab. But that nasal swab also tested for like 15 different respiratory viruses. And they did a urine culture and they just did everything. And they came back and said her test results are the same as last time. She's testing positive for adenovirus and rhinovirus, which is the common cold. And we aren't finding anything else, but they were very concerned about her being severely dehydrated. So they put her on IV fluids and I just said, I feel like there's something more wrong here. And she just kept screaming, wasn't feeling well. So for about a day, they were like put testing her. We were up all night the first night, like literally all night long. We got, they finally admitted us at about 4 a.m. to an actual full hospital ad- admission. So we had been up all night doing ultrasounds, x-rays, more x-rays, just trying to figure out, is there something in her gut? Is there is her bowel twisted? What is going on? Still couldn't find answers, couldn't figure out why she was screaming. And this whole time too, like she would either fall asleep because she was so exhausted or she'd wake up and she'd start screaming again. And that was really disturbing for me. And I felt like any of the doctors who saw her that way were like, yeah, this isn't normal. And in fact, that second time that we took her into the ER, The doctor that night said, okay, I do this for a living and this isn't just like a kid who's sick and uncomfortable. This, there's something wrong with her. So that was validating to me as a mom to feel like, okay, I'm not just like blowing this out of proportion in my mind or whatever. And you were totally on the same page as me, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Millie's like the sweetest, like happiest little child who does not throw tantrums a lot. Even when she does, she like will throw a tantrum and then she'll get over it. Yeah, she'll be over it. But to see her completely out of sorts like that for an an extended period of time was just kind of threw things off. I mean, 
So I, I don't know, but one of, there was like a really, a lot of cool spiritual components in the whole process of it. I mean, one thing that comes to my mind immediately whenever anyone's sick, myself included, is priesthood blessings, which is something really cool in our church where people who hold the priesthood or the authority from God can give special blessings of like healing or comfort or counsel under the authority or the direction of the priesthood. So it, it was really cool to be able to do that. So went up and gave her a blessing and just had a feeling of peace that she would be totally fine. And like, those were the words that kind of came to mind as I was given this blessing is like, you'll be a hundred percent, have a hundred percent healing and, and be just fine and be comforted. So I always got a lot of peace from that. I, I was sick a lot as a kid. And my dad, I remember my dad giving me these, these blessings and it was really powerful. I just always felt that and really had a lot of, and have a lot of faith in priesthood blessings. And so as soon as that kind of happened, that was the first night that we went into the ER, I felt like, okay, it's going to be just fine and everything's good. But even at that, there was still challenges and still trials and struggle to where, you know, I'm like, okay, well, how is this going to shake out? Well, let me just ask you, I haven't even asked you this offline. So did you feel like when you gave that blessing that it was like a, she's fine, it's it's fine, whatever's going on here, she's going to get better and it's not a big deal or? I just felt like she will be okay. Like she will, she will be fine. She will be okay. She'll make a full recovery. She will be okay. So that was kind of the feeling that I had. And so I was like, okay, you know, and not, not necessarily like in that moment you're overreacting. Don't worry about it. That's what I'm trying to clarify. Cause it yeah, kind of yeah. sounds like you're saying that. No, 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 not at all. It wasn't like a, it was kind of like a, a comforting, like, yes, things seem out of control right now and it's scary, but she's going to be just fine. Eventually. Eventually she will okay. be fine. Okay. That's so that was the feeling that I had. And so after that, I was like, okay, she's good. And then even when we got discharged that first night, and then the next day I, I was with her, I was like, all right, yeah, we're good. We're good. And so when her fever spiked again, I was like, shoot, man, like, well, we need to reevaluate this and maybe there's more here. Maybe we need to get more information or let's take her back in. And yeah, it wasn't even just the fever spiking for me. It was seeing her cry super hard with no tears and then knowing she was dehydrated and just watching her scream for like a day and a half. So I guess I had a little bit of a different, and I think this is good and healthy for us to talk about the difference in spiritual experiences. But for me, I remember feeling peaceful, but it wasn't exactly what you're describing as far as like, she's going to be fine. It's fine. I remember you saying things in the blessing about her doctors being able to diagnose her properly and that her immune system would work. These are the things that I remember sticking out in my mind, but the specifically, I guess I fixated and maybe this is just me, but I remember hearing you say that in the priesthood blessing that you gave her and then really being kind of focused in on, okay, we need an exact diagnosis. Like that's what you said in this blessing. We need to figure out exactly what's going on. And I, to, to be totally honest, I haven't completely let go of that too. I still feel like there's maybe something fishy, but Let's keep going because I agree with you. There have been, really, that's what I want to focus on are some of the miracles yeah. that I feel like happened. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, maybe there is something we don't fully comprehend in that. But Well, we can come back to that but, in a second. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that 
And it, I don't know, it just made me just, I know there's so many people who go through in comparison, some, some really, really intense hospital stays, hospitalizations, challenging things with kids. Like I've heard so many of these stories on social media and I'm just like, man, like even just having an experience where it's a few nights in with your kid, it, you just f- quickly realize how fast something can turn and how scary it can be. And all of a sudden, just everything else just kind of kind of goes by the wayside for a minute. And you're like, all right, what do we, what do we need to do? Right. Because I think, again, just to really clarify exactly what this experience was like, I don't feel like that second time when she, when we were like, we need to take her in that you or I were at all like, oh, but she's going to be fine. Yeah, it was, it was scary. We definitely were both kind of freaked, freaked out. out. Yeah. yeah. And when we took her in, I was like driving there and getting there, just praying, like specifically, please help these doctors to figure out what's wrong with her. And, and honestly, too, the first round, that first um, ER doc, I felt like, and I, I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate. I felt like he was kind of like, mm, yeah, this is, this is adenovirus and it's pretty normal and kind of was downplaying what was going on. And as we walked out and she was screaming, the doctor, even the next morning was like, yep, that's adenovirus. Like it makes kids feel miserable. And I just, there was something in my mom gut that was like, this doesn't feel quite right, but okay, I'm going to trust you. And anyway, so then checking her in that second time, I think we were like, okay. And I even asked you, should we do a second priest of blessing? Like we were praying, we were looking for answers. And I felt very much that feeling of desperation where it's like, I need to ask God to help us because I feel like I can't do enough for my child in this moment. I feel like I can't give her enough medicine to just make it go away or take her to the like perfect doctor or anything. It was like there was something really wrong and we couldn't quite put our finger on it or get answers or solutions. And so where the miracles start to come in for me, from my perspective was, again, timeline. If we get the timeline, all right. She was... Admitted to the ER first Thursday night. She left Friday afternoon around 2 p.m. Then Saturday at about 9 p.m. was when we realized she hadn't peed for a day and a half, was crying with no tears. We were admitted. They did tests on her literally all night long. And then they finally admitted us to the hospital Sunday at 4 a.m. So then we, you know, hung out in the hospital that all day that day, which was actually really sad for me because the whole reason that we stayed for almost two weeks was so that we could listen to my parents give their mission report and their mission homecoming talk at church. So thank goodness for Zoom. That's one like really good thing that came out of COVID is most congregations in our church are still doing some type of a virtual streaming service so that if you don't feel comfortable going to church yet, that you can stream it from home. So I was able to listen to their talks live over Zoom, and that was a huge blessing. But I sat with Millie that whole day, and she just, she struggled all day. She cried, then she exhaust herself and fall asleep, and then wake up and be in pain and have like little tiny windows where it seemed like she would kind of forget, and then it would come back. And she would just, you could tell it wasn't like, I'm bugged or I don't like the the nurses that are in here. I think there was a little bit of that. Like She didn't want to be at the hospital. So Sunday at like 4 a.m. when we were admitted, that's when I hadn't really posted much on Instagram. I posted actually after we were done with the whole first ER stay. And I was like, yeah, we were in the ER, but we're okay now. And, 
you know, this is Millie and grateful that she's okay and that our prayers were answered for her. And then the second time around when we took her back to the ER and then we had been up literally all night long and she had been crying all night long and screaming in pain and still had a very high fever. I posted at about four in the morning, something about, if you have a moment, will you please pray for our little girl, Millie? She's really struggling. And I didn't put this together until a day or two later, but right after I posted that, and I think people around the country and the world started praying for her, her fever went away that the next morning when she woke up at about 8 a.m., she didn't have a fever anymore, which to me was miraculous. And then, you know, the rest of that day, she struggled, she cried, she was in pain. But about 8 p.m., she asked for pancakes randomly and said, Mom, I want pancakes. And I was like, okay, sure, you can have pancakes. So I called down to the cafeteria. They made her some pancakes. And she seemed like she was going to be better. She was on the mend. She was, you know, going to maybe be okay. And then, but they still wanted to keep her because they weren't 100% about her fluids. They were still kind of running some tests, trying to figure things out. So she went to sleep. And the doctor and the nurse saw her in that condition as compared to, you know, earlier in the day when she was screaming, crying, in pain, super irritable. And they were like, wow, this is like a different girl. And I was like, yeah, this is how Millie usually is. Just happy, polite, easygoing, just like a very happy, bright soul. She went to sleep and about an hour and a half, two hours later, she woke up screaming. The nurses came running because they heard her. And I was almost like, please, Remember this, document it, tell the doctors tomorrow morning, whatever you need to do so that they don't think I'm crazy. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. We will tell them what we saw. And I was like, just, I'm putting this together that it seems like she was feeling good again. Then she ate and then she was screaming in pain an hour and a half, two hours later when she woke up. And I said, and she woke up screaming. So it wasn't like someone walked in and started poking and prodding her and then that made her mad and then she was screaming because she's sick of being in the hospital or screaming and crying because she hates it here. Like she woke up out of her sleep screaming. There's obviously really something bothering her. And the resident doctor who was on call that night and on the floor and then the nurses were all like, yep, we are on board with you 100%. So I feel like anyone who saw that like screaming behavior was like this. Yeah, we agree with you. This isn't normal at least the second time around. But at that point, people were asking for updates, wanting to know. And um, I posted in my Instagram stories, like your prayers are working. Millie is getting better. Like she's turning a corner. She asked for pancakes tonight. She doesn't have a fever anymore. And I think people just continued to pray for her. And then the next morning she woke up, didn't have a fever, wasn't screaming, wasn't in a ton of pain anymore, it seemed. And she started eating a little and drinking, mostly drinking, which was the biggest thing. Like I would offer her, do you want a slushy? No. Do you want juice? No. Do you want chocolate milk? No. She would just say no because she just, whatever it was with her tummy or not feeling well, she wouldn't take any food or water from us for days. And they had told me, we can't send you home till she's drinking. Like we've got to get the dehydration under control. So I knew that was like a big deal thing to just try to offer her anything that would make her happy. Like the night before I had given her a popsicle and she took like one bite and was like, no, I don't want this. 
So the next morning, she seemed so much better and she was she started drinking for me and and it was almost like I forgot what it's like to try to get a two-year-old to sit still, but all of a sudden she was like climbing out of her bed, climbing on top of things, climbing all over the room. And I was like, oh yeah, you don't just sit in one place ever. And she had sat in that hospital bed and not really moved because she was so miserable. So to see her like monkeying around like normal, I was like, oh my gosh, she is finally feeling better. And it was, to me, it was such a humbling miracle to feel like we asked people to pray and they they really did it. And they were reporting back and DMing me and commenting on this post that we did saying, we are praying for Millie or we prayed for her. And I was so, like I said, humbled and blown away that all these people would actually stop what they were doing and take the time to say a prayer for her. And that we saw this miracle that God gave us. And so I, I think we need to talk next about so did that cause God to change? Like, did we cause a change in the plan or kind of how prayer works? And someone left a comment saying, not to be taken in a bad way, just curious, but what do you do or your religion tell people when prayers don't go their way and their loved ones don't pull through despite the plea for prayers? And so I thought, wow, that's a really sincere question. They're wanting to make sure it's like not taken in a bad way. And I said, hey, I will post what I go to and what my answers are. And so I posted a couple of things. The first thing is something that I have bookmarked in my gospel library and it's called, well, I named it. You can name things in your gospel library. And so I named it why bad things happen to good people. And I posted this screenshot and it's from Spencer W. Kimball, who was a former prophet and president in our church. And he said, if all the sick for whom we pray were healed. If all the righteous were protected and the wicked destroyed, the whole program of the Father would be annulled, and the basic principle of the gospel, free agency, would be ended. No man would have to live by faith. If joy and peace and rewards were instantaneously given the doer of good, there could be no evil. All would do good, but not because of the rightness of doing good. There would be no test of strength, no development of character, no growth of powers, no free agency, only satanic controls. Should all prayers be immediately answered according to our selfish desires and our limited understanding, then there would be little or no suffering, sorrow, disappointment, or even death. And if these were not, there would also be no joy, success, resurrection, nor eternal life and Godhood. So to me, that's such a powerful and clear way to explain God can't take every bad thing away or we wouldn't learn and he would take away agency, which is such a vital part of us coming to earth and having an earthly experience. So that was one thing I posted. And then I also posted this from Rabbi Harold Kushner, who I love, love, love so much. I love all of the things that I've ever read from him. And he said, we can't pray that God make our lives free of problems. This won't happen. And it is probably just as well. We can't ask him to make us and those we love immune to diseases because he can't do that. We can't ask him to weave a magic spell around us so that bad things will only happen to other people and never to us. People who pray for miracles usually don't get miracles any more than children who pray for bicycles, good grades, or good boyfriends get them as a result of praying. But people who pray for courage, for strength to bear the unbearable, for the grace to remember what they have left instead of what they've lost, very often find their prayer answered. And I agree with that so much, I believe. But there's a couple of things I want to say. First of all, 
I want to make it really clear that I believe that Heavenly Father cannot just take away every bad thing for us. And we've experienced that. We experienced that when we found out Dave was missing and we immediately started praying and praying that we would find him and praying that he would be okay. And we found him and he was not okay. And for those who don't know, like Neil's brother, Dave, died two years ago and was killed and it was a murder and it was horribly tragic and our prayers did not save him from that event but so many prayers also were offered during that time and I remember for the first time in my life feeling this unbelievable unmistakable power of being carried by prayers and I remember someone DMing me and saying that power that you're feeling of the collective prayers that are being offered in your behalf it will go away and if you are anything like me, you will miss it because this person who DM'd me had had a similar experience where lots and lots of people were praying for them. And then as people started to kind of move on with their lives, that that power and that feeling of just being carried goes away. And and I felt that. Did you feel that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, through the whole time, I felt like I think the atonement of Christ kicks in and that's something that supports and sustains and, and fills in that, that gap. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, I think the, the topic at large, I mean, I think it would be easy to look at that scenario and, and the, there were tons of prayers offered. Dave. I mean, for Dave, yeah. for every, I mean, immediately I was praying, praying. I mean, you put it out on social media. I'm sure hundreds of thousands of people were praying then yeah. for a positive outcome people i mean it was also on national news and it was national it was news like... so i mean so there were prayers in that instance but the outcome was drastically different i mean it, this totally reminds me of a talk this is was in october 2017 this is uh hallstrom i think is his last name donald l hallstrom has the day of miracle see so he he brings this up he cites a few examples of times where there wasn't a favorable outcome mm-hmm. um you know he cites an example of some people dying in a plane crash and then other instances where those people prayed for safety or were prayed for. And he says this, he says, what about the innumerable faith-filled priesthood blessing receiving, undeniingly prayed for, covenant-keeping, full of hope, Latter-day Saints whose miracle never comes, at least in the way they understand a miracle, at least in a way that others appear to receive miracles. What about those who suffer from profound afflictions, physically, mentally, emotionally, for years or for decades, or for their entire mortal life. What about those who die so very young? And he goes on and and cites some of these examples. He says, my limited knowledge cannot explain why sometimes there is divine intervention and other times there is not, but perhaps we lack an understanding of what constitutes a miracle. Um, And then he talks about kind of the definition of, of, of maybe what we need to kind of think about what does constitute a miracle. He says, however, defining a miracle as a beneficial event brought about through divine power that mortals do not understand. And I feel like that's what happened with Millie, where it was like, I was, again, humbled is like the only word I can use where I feel like right when we first brought Millie into the ER, I didn't want to like post about it right away. I kind of wanted to just privately see what happened and let it play out. And then it did. And I felt like, oh, okay, she's better and, or she's going to be okay. Posted about that. And then when we had to take her back in, I almost resisted posting anything else because I was like, it's either going to look like we're stupid and we're paranoid or we're, I don't know. I didn't want to be like attention seeking or anything like that, but I felt really strongly after we were up all night long trying to figure out what was wrong with her 
just ask people to pray. It was like this simple spiritual prompting, like just ask for prayers. And it was so amazing to me. Like I know God's hearing our prayers. I know God is good and I know he provides all good things for us in our life. But it was still so humbling to me to know that all these people prayed for her. And then we actually did get this miracle that I felt like it defied all logic that she just suddenly started getting better with with no other explanation. And we've never really figured out what a lot of those doctors validated as, yeah, this isn't just adenovirus. This isn't normal for her to be screaming. And that went away and she started drinking and she started getting better. What do you think though about the difference between, okay, this was God's will anyway, so it would have happened that way versus praying and asking for something and like, if it was God's will anyway, or if it was going to happen that way, then why do we even need to pray? And how how do you explain that cause and effect or the prayers and then the answer and the pleading for help and then the miracle? I think there is a, in the Bible dictionary, which is one of the resources that we use for our scriptures, the definition of prayer is really, really cool. And it kind of goes into exactly what you're saying. And so it's kind of like, okay, was this going to happen anyway? Was this miracle going to happen? Or is it because you prayed and and that made it so? So it talks a little bit about this. It just says under prayer as the definition. Prayer is the act by which the will of the father and the will of the child are brought into correspondence with each other. The object of prayer is not to change the will of God, but to secure for ourselves and for others, blessings that God is already willing to grant, but that are made conditional on our asking for them. That's the key. Say that again. Say that last part again. The object of prayer is not to change the will of God, but to secure for ourselves and for others blessings that God is already willing to grant, but that are made conditional on our asking for them. Okay. That to me is so key. There was someone that reached out, that person that I talked about a second ago that reached out in DM and was like, well, what about prayers that aren't answered? And I tried to, you know, share those couple of resources and this is what I look to and this is what explains it to me. She kind of came back to me and said something. And I was bummed when I saw this because I was like, oh, so you asked me so you could like prove me wrong. That's a bummer. It wasn't really that sincere then. She was saying that we can't change God's will and that she kind of didn't like what I said when we use certain verbiage that says like, oh, our prayers worked or God, as if we changed God's will. And my response to that was, no, we didn't change God's will. In the Bible, it says faith without works is dead, right? Like we have to do our part. So I love that the Bible dictionary explains that perfectly, that there are blessings that God is has in store for us, but it's conditional upon us asking. Yeah. And it even says, he goes on to say, blessings require some work on or effort on our part before we can obtain them. Right. Prayer is a form of work and is appointed means for obtaining the highest of all blessings. Prayer is a form of work. That's so yeah, there yeah. is there is faith that is required for us in order to receive that faith precedes the miracle. And I think what's really cool, I mean, ultimately, what I, you looked at the example of the Savior and right, think, because he is the perfect example. And he prayed. If we didn't need to pray, if we didn't need to ask exactly. for things, then he wouldn't have shown us. And that, and like you look at in the in the Bible, in the New Testament, one of the most, you know, some of the most sincere prayers are right in the midst of his greatest challenges. I always look to the Garden of Gethsemane 
and how he prays. And some of the language that's used here is so descriptive. He says, you know, and this is Matthew 26, 38 and 39. He says, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. So he's telling his disciples, he'd never felt sin before and now is feeling this and is just overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. And then he says, he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So it's kind of like even Christ himself in that moment was like, if this is, if it's possible, let this pass. But I think that really the the teaching that I see here that, that is so profound is not my will, but as thou wilt. And right. that requires, I mean, some serious faith. And, and so I think that begs the question of like, okay, in those instances where there isn't a favorable outcome, do you still have the, faith? do you still have the faith? Yeah. If, if it is like a, Hey, no, this cup can't pass. You've got to drink the bitter cup. Are you willing to do that? And I think Christ set the perfect example of even being overwhelmed or it talks about being sore amazed um, by by the challenge of the atonement in the Garden of Gethsemane and performing that. He was so overwhelmed that he asked for that cup to be removed, but was totally willing to say, nevertheless, I will drink this. And so I think that having the faith to say in a prayer, thy will be done and showing a willingness or an acceptance of whatever outcome God sees fit in the given situation is a requirement of, of prayer and, and exercising that faith to be able to see the true miracle, which is something that we might not understand or even see as a miracle yeah. as far as the outcome goes. So many good thoughts there. And I'm super grateful that you're here to explain and lay all of this out and use your gospel knowledge. I think that my prayers changed dramatically when I did the 12 steps, when I learned how important it is to submit your will. That's one of the steps. And it has changed the way that I communicate with Heavenly Father about everything, including my brother lost his cell phone at the cabin a few days before all of this other stuff started. And I was praying Immediately when we were trying to find it, he was frustrated. Our whole family was scrambling, looking for it. And I just started praying and saying, Heavenly Father, in my heart, like silently, please, if it be thy will, let us find this cell phone. And I just kept saying it over and over and we didn't find it. And so we finally all left. And then the next day he went back up and he checked a spot that I swear on my life, I checked three times. It was in like one of the cracks of the couch that I had seen him sit on. And I said to my mom, after she told me where they found it, I was like, I checked that spot. She was like, I did too. But for whatever reason, I believe Heavenly Father wanted, I think that my dad and my brother were able to drive up and have some time alone. And maybe that was why, or maybe, who knows? But obviously I believe that that was God's will for that to play out exactly the way it did. And so when I pray, I'm. it's always, always, no matter what I'm asking for, Heavenly Father, please help me with this or help me to know how to deal with the situation or help me to have the strength to X, Y, Z. And if it be thy will, like if there's something that I feel like I really am hoping for a certain outcome, I'll say it, but I always say, if it be thy will, because that's where, that's like, I know Heavenly Father knows so much better than I do, exactly the way things are supposed to go and how they should go. And so my prayer is always, trying to align my will with his. That's like my my deepest desire when I pray is, yes, here are the things that I want. And I, I think it's 
important to ask for those things, just like we talked about the faith without works is dead. But the very most important component to me is that if it be thy will part. And I think, I don't know, for me, one thing I've learned is how I respond or react to whatever the outcome is greatly determines the, either the strengthening and the growth of my faith or the opposite. Or I think in those, some of those instances, like where it doesn't turn out favorably or maybe the way that I wanted, I think there's kind of a fork in the road. And one of the sides is, you know, one of the the directions is, you know what, God just doesn't hear my prayers. He doesn't care about me, you know, and he didn't answer my prayer. I prayed for this, like it was a righteous desire. Why didn't it happen? It didn't happen. And then you go down that road of disbelief and doubt and resentment and anger and frustration. And I've, I've, you know, admittedly have gone down that and been back and forth, even in my own, you know, with my brother's death. And I think you can feel that in certain moments, or there is the, the other way where it's like, you know what, I know that God loves his children, but I don't understand the, the meaning of all things. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that Nephi says in the book of Mormon, when he's asked about understanding the condescension of Jesus Christ. I know that God loves me, but I don't understand. But I trust in him that he knows all and that his ways are higher than my ways. And I trust that. That requires an just enormous degree of faith and really is just soul stretching. But admittedly, I'm I'm far from, from perfect at it. But it's something that I've learned in going through different trials and challenges that it kind of comes down to what what choice am I going to make? How am I going to react to this? So Henry B. Eyring shares in his, he gave a talk called Prayer. It's just called Prayer, October of 2001. And he says something exactly like what you're talking about. He says, those who submit like a child do it because they know that the father wants only the happiness of his children and that only he knows the way. That is the testimony we must have to keep praying like a submissive child in the good times as well as the times of trouble. With that faith, we will be able to pray for what we want and appreciate whatever we get. So that's exactly what you're saying. Like It's a struggle, but that's where we learn that tremendous amount of trust like you're talking about. So one last thing I wanted to talk about was that I feel like when those little miracles, and maybe some people will call it coincidence or good luck or whatever, but to me... I spiritually felt like these were miracles and it started just aligning in my mind. Oh my gosh, right after I prayed, uh, right after I just simply asked for prayers, Lily's fever went away. And then when I posted another update several hours later and she slept through that night, she woke up the next day and did all the things she needed to do to get us out of the hospital. And then we were able to fly home the next day. And I just felt such an immense amount of gratitude for all of those things. And the one thing that after there were really two promptings that I felt that whole weekend. The one was to post, just ask for prayers. And then after I felt like we received all those miracles, I felt like, and now you need to share it. And I think there's so much responsibility, at least for me, this is how I feel when God gives us good things to recognize him, recognize his hand, recognize that it was him who gave those things to us. And so maybe I misstepped by saying your prayers are working. There were a couple of people who messaged me and that bothered them that I said it that way because it, I guess, implied that maybe other people's prayers don't work or something. And that was not my intention. My intention definitely was, and this is what I felt so strongly about, was 
there are so many people who feel like they pray and it doesn't make a difference. So they've stopped praying or they haven't gotten the blessings that they've asked for. So God doesn't care about them. Or when I kneel down and pray, is it even real? Is anyone even listening? And I feel like at times God makes certain things happen that, like you said, we can't explain ourselves. And that is the definition of a miracle so that our faith can be strengthened and so that we can share it with others and build up each other's testimonies and have those little, I feel like he gives us those little pushes in life where it's like, hey, keep going. I'm here. I see you. And I feel like when those things happen, we have to recognize them and talk about them and strengthen each other and not just let them pass by and not ignore them or call them a stroke of good luck or coincidence or whatever. It's to me, the one thing we can do to try to repay our Heavenly Father when He gives us those blessings and miracles is to share our faith and to strengthen each other. I need that. I am so strengthened all the time by friends who share their miracles. Like I have a dear friend whose son is going through chemo treatments and is very sick with cancer. And she has continually over and over and over again shared her miracles. And every time she does it, it's not like it loses its charm or loses its effectiveness on me where I'm like, oh, okay, I've heard this. It is powerful every time. And it strengthens my testimony and it makes me feel like, gosh, she's so faithful and she has so much trust in God and I can be better. I can be more like that. And my relationship with Heavenly Father is going to get better as I strive to be that way. So that was my one of two strong promptings was you've got to share this. And by doing that, you will help other people to feel like I was a little tiny part of that miracle and it happened and God is real. And when I said this prayer for this little girl that I don't even know, that she got better. In fact, I ran into Tim Ballard at the airport and I said, hey, Tim. And I had a mask on and he was like, oh, hey. And I was like, it's Corinne. You came to my house and recorded a podcast. He was like, oh yeah, Mint. (laughs) Which most people will say Mint Arrow, but totally fine. Anyway, and then he looked right down at Millie and he said, hey, we've been praying for you. Which just, first of all, really touched my heart. But he was there with some of his kids and he was like, yeah, we've been praying for you. And in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, he's telling his kids like, hey, this is the little girl we've been praying for. She's all better. It was just cool to make that connection. And so that's why I I shared and I felt like I needed to because we need to acknowledge God in all things that are good that happen to us and that we need that strength. There's so much negativity out there. There's so much cynicism. There's so many people losing their faith and walking away from organized religion or from any belief in God at all whatsoever. And so we have to cling to these miracles and share them and make those the focus of of our lives and our, not, not the focus, maybe that's the wrong word, but bring those into the light because there's so much darkness and there's so many heavy things that weigh us down that we have to bring those out into the light and let our light shine because that's really, the, those were Heavenly Father's doings, I feel like, and the doings of so many people who were willing to say a simple prayer to help a little girl get better. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I'm, I'm not going to try and add to to that one. But. Okay. Well, thanks for yeah for listening to us and also for hanging in. Sorry that we weren't here last week, but if you said one of those prayers for Millie, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. 
And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. 